Mad Beef is kept going and growing by generous support from Skater HQ. Bill and the team have been heavily involved in the inline skating community since 1991 and continue to support competitions, skaters, and now a podcast. You can visit Skater HQ at one of their Sydney shops or shop online at skaterhq.com.au. Also, big thanks to our Patreon supporters. It really means a lot. If you want to become a patron of the podcast, find us on Patreon and pledge a monthly contribution. Even just $2 a month would be a huge encouragement. Hi, this is Mad Beef, the Australian Rollerblading Podcast. I'm Mikey Lynch, and in this episode, I'm really stoked to be able to talk with Johnny Pollard, who many Australians who were teenagers in the 90s would know as uh, Alan Bolton, one of the characters on the um, Australian uh, teen drama show Heartbreak High, which also featured aggressive inline skating in a big way, uh, both with Johnny and um, Cal Mulvey as Drazic. Um, and so in this episode, we get to chat about Heartbreak High at length, as well as um, the, the really early days of Australian aggressive inline skating that um, Johnny and Cal played a huge party. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Mikey. Hey, man. How are you going? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Would you prefer John or Johnny? Johnny. Johnny. I had someone ask whether all your mates and mates from back in the day called you John or Johnny. Has that been a change over time? Yeah, it kind of happened, um, I guess, not long after the skating days. Yeah. Everyone just started Everyone just started calling me Johnny. <laughs> it's stuck. Yeah, and it's kind of, yeah, it's totally stuck. But, you know, so many of the people from the old skating days refer to me as John. Yeah, 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 okay. Hey, look, thanks so much for being willing to, to do this, and, and thanks to Scott. My pleasure. Scott or Scotty. Do you call him Scotty or Scott? Scotty, yeah, I call him Scotty. Scotty, well, thanks to Scotty Crawford for, yeah. for being the um, the middleman on this. It's um, Yeah. Hey, look, it's cool cause because of Australia, I'm a global skating, you, you played an important part early on. Um, but also for Aussies, you played a little part of the um, the mythology of a lot of people who were high schoolers yeah, in the 90s because yeah. of um, Alan Bolton in Heartbreak High. And, yeah. um, and so it's fun on, on that level too. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, really appreciate it. My kids, my teenage kids, they're mainly, um, they're going, oh, this is just the gateway portal. You know, you get John, you get Cal, you get Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah. That's all, uh, cool. that's all they're thinking. They've got a whole master plan. But uh, <laughs> Your kids. Yeah. That's so great. They're into it. It's cute. Yeah. That's nice, man. So, yeah, um, awesome. I mean, if you're happy for me just to dive into a bunch of stuff and you just yeah, yeah, sure. feel free to just yeah. talk, in, take it whatever direction you want to take it, but also, like, if there's kind of no comment or you don't know what to say, it doesn't, like, it, whatever, we'll just, we'll just see how we go. But I thought okay, cool. up, up front... Uh, we might dive into some of that heartbreak high type stuff because I know there would be some people out there who'd just be interested to hear bits about that, even if they don't know heaps about the inline skating, just kind of curious about because that was part of their, you know, part of their, their, you know, teenagerhood and stuff. Yeah, so, sure, sure. So, I mean, how, how did that work? You and Cal both, and a lot of people would know your faces and know your characters, Drazik and Bolton, and, and then know Cal from other stuff since in terms of his acting career, but wouldn't maybe know how, just how high up in the world of inline skating in Australia and the world you guys were as well. 
How did that, what came first, the chicken or the egg, in terms of those characters in that show? Were the makers of the show looking for inline skaters for the characters, or did they get you guys and then say, well, let's leverage some of what you guys could do with your skating? How did that happen? Uh, I think it was just coincidental that we skated. I think they were looking for talent that had other abilities. I don't know if you recall a lot of the other cast members, you know, were either great musicians or, you know, athletes or um, songwriters uh, or dancers. So I think they were always looking for, you know, rich characters uh, and for the most part with no acting training. So they, they got a lot of a lot of the cast just from the street and we had a really great um, dramaturg who whipped us into shape and, and, and taught us how to, you know, master the craft. Now, this is an important point. One of the things you all mastered, and I want to see if you've still got it, man, if you've still got the chops, one of the things the whole cast mastered was the ability to say, rack off. Rack so, off? Yeah. Oh, no, it's so funny. <laughs> Give us your best heartbreak high rack off. I'll rack off. Oh, that's bad, man. you still got it. I'll just rack off. <laughs> Why don't you use all rack off? Yeah. yeah it was okay. I think somebody did a, a compilation of all the rack offs from Heartbreak Eye. It goes for about five minutes. It's quite funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, they, they were hoping to um, actually, um, you, you know, use coarse language. Yeah. Um, uh, when they first started and there was a bit of a debate around it, I think the first scripts had, you know, coarse language because it was, wasn't actually targeted for young necessarily for, for young people. Cause you know, the, the themes in the first series were pretty, pretty real and raw. And, um, you know, it was, it was considered a drama series, not a soap. And, um, you know, every episode was shot on 16 mil film. It was like we were shooting, you know, films, you know, feature length films, um, every two weeks. And, uh, you know, we had some of the best, you know, craftspeople from, from the film industry working on the show. And, um, and so it was, it was really, really different from, from that perspective. Um, so to answer your question, um, it was, I think it was coincidental. So as the story goes, Cal, Cal was asked to go to audition. I already, I already done a, a bunch of acting. I did a couple of, um, ABC miniseries and, um, a little odds and ends, a couple of TV, TV commercials. And, um, I, I fell into it purely by accident. And, um, we were doing a series of shows and there was an agent at one of the shows that spotted Cal and he was, you know, pretty, pretty handsome guy. So, um, they were like, wow, you got to look, you should, you should have a, an agent. And anyway, um, the, the Heartbreak Kid, the, the feature-length film. Alex Dimitriadis. Uh, yeah, that, that, that did really well. And so the producer of that film, Ben Gannon, decided to turn it into a series. And so they started doing a sort of a, casting a wide net to, to, um, to cast the, the main cast. And um, they kind of got everybody to come and, you know, audition for it. And Cow was one of those people. And... I um, I knew where the casting agency was, so I actually took him there and just went with him because it was the first thing he'd ever casted for, and I remember him being quite nervous and unsure because he was very reluctant. Yeah. And um, and they were like, ah, oh, Johnny, you're here. Why don't, why don't you um, audition for one of the characters? I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I go in and do something really stupid and silly and, and kind of didn't take it at all seriously because I never really kind of thought of myself as an actor. 
was just something I did that was a bit of fun, paid good money. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I was, my focus was on skating, and so was Cal. We, we, we were, you know, that's that's where we were at at the yep. time, just skating. Um, and, um, you know, we did the audition. We walked out of there and forgot all about it. And I think we were finishing up year 12 at that stage, and there was a whole crew of us that went to school together. And so we kind of um, were about to um, take off for our first – um, tour to the US at that stage as well. Yep. So I kind of forgot all about it. And then um, I got a call. And so just for context again, this is like, this is so early that there isn't really much inline skating in terms of stunt skating. There's not much media going around. Like it, it really was. Uh, actually, no, at that stage it was. You know, like, uh-huh. you know, the, the our team in Manly at that stage were um, pretty well known throughout Australia. It was kind of funny. We, we, we were just constantly approached by like a current affair and, um, you know, all of the national news networks, they all just wanted to tell the, tell our story, you know, mm. of us, mm. a bunch of kids from Manly skating and then, you know, got our act together and, you know, got a sponsor and got supported by a local shop and Coca-Cola and all of that. And then started touring the country and, um, you know, doing, you know, big halftime shows for major sport events and, you know, opening ceremonies for this, that and the other. And um, it was it was really strange. We kind of had this kind of pseudo celebrity status um, just as rollerbladers at that stage. That was in the kind of real early 90s. Yeah, yeah so, so I guess I was trying to say the um, uh, rollerblading uh, indigenous media. We didn't have magazines so much and videos uh, so much. Right. There. No, 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 yeah. no. None of that was happening yet. It yeah, was still. So there was this we, fad that exploded, and with yeah. that, suddenly stunt skating just seemed obvious because you put wheels on teenagers' feet and they'll just start figuring start. out what they can do. Yeah, um, totally. And that's that was, you know, that was the heyday because, you know, every day we, we, we were working out new. Yep. new tricks you know it was just such a creative awesome fun time you know we were spending 10 hours a day on our skates non-stop. and you were finding guys then when you went to america same 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 thing they were figuring it out yeah as well. it was, a, it was yeah. a global phenomenon yeah and in europe down in melbourne mm. um and oddly you know we were all kind of coming up with really similar tricks yeah. um there was just different flavors to it and yeah. And then over time, as the media proliferated, the, the tricks began to homogenize. There was a kind of a standardized style that was recognized as more superior than another. And, and it kind of, you know, as all things do, they kind of, they merge. And yeah. then there's this kind of, everyone's kind of trying to tweak their tricks to look a particular way. And yeah, uh, yeah so it was really interesting. So, so you were so that so that during the kind of the start of Heartbreak High. Yeah, I was. Uh, we, I think we went to America before we before I started. Mm. Okay. I think. Oh no 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 no. I, I I got the gig. So as it turns out, Cal didn't end up getting getting the role he went for. I ended up I ended up getting the role I went for, and my character was only supposed to be in the first two episodes to introduce um, the character Rivers. <laughs> and so. Um, but I, I, you know, just played my cards right, and you know, made sure that I endeared myself to all the all the people that you know mattered there. And um, they they were like, "Oh, we'd we'd love to just bring you in as a guest whenever you're around," because we were still touring a lot. 
I couldn't actually be on set all the time because we were doing shows everywhere. So whenever I was in town, I'd ring them and say, I'm in town, they'll like come in. And they'd let me just improvise. My character was developed very organically because in between lines, um, they just let me improvise and throw lines in here and there, which is like unheard of. Wow. It's it an extraordinary opportunity for me to develop a really wacky character. And that's why most of my most of my stuff in the first series was kind of comic relief. You know, they just sort of let me be silly. And um, and sometimes it, it made it on screen and most of the time it made it on the cutting room floor. But uh, um, then and then as it evolved, um, you know, I, I started, we did a couple of tours to the States. I had a knee injury. I was kind of wanting to quiet it down a little bit and, um, they asked me to come on, you know, as a ma- as main cast, and I think in the third series, and um, so I, I I signed the contract to, to come on as main cast, and, and I think I did that for a couple of seasons, and um, and then I, uh, you know, was going through some pretty extraordinary changes in my life while I was doing the show, and um, decided that I wanted to kind of just step back from everything, skating, acting. And everything else that I was doing and just, you know, be still. I was spending a lot of time in India um, reflecting and, um, yeah, it was uh, it was a really powerful time. So when I announced that I was stepping out, you know, there were a lot of episodes where Cal and Blake Reed um, and Scotty Crawford were, um, you know, coming in as guest roles for various things because my character obviously skated. Um, and so those guys were always around and the producers were always looking at those guys going, hmm, these guys would be good. And particularly Cal, because he was such a handsome, handsome kid, they were like, you know, can we get Cal to audition? And, um, and so he did and, you know, did really well and landed the, the they created a role called Drazic for him. Yep. And, um, and then the rest is history. You know, I think Drazic was probably one of the most successful characters on the, on the show. <laughs> in terms of like yeah. attracting the, the 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 crazy female Australian audience, you know, and you should just rack off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I racked off so the cow could get yeah. it on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he was yeah. moody, wasn't he? He was troubled and he was moody and and all that yeah. kind of thing. We just, yeah. want, we just want to fix him and redeem him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a friend of mine, Kate, um, who isn't a skater but did love Heartbreak High, wanted to ask you what you think Bolton's up to now in 2019. I think he's probably up to similar things to what I'm up to. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And the beautiful thing about my character was that when I became main cast and they really started scripting uh, my journey, I asked them if I could play a – a role in in the the character arc so that um it was going to be real you know what we're always trying to do on that show was um you know tell real stories and um and make it as real and relatable as possible and i think that's why it was so successful mm-hmm. um it wasn't just a bunch of you know script writers that were completely deta- you know disconnected from the generation they were writing about and coming up with really kooky stuff now they did do that they did make there was there was a like a major fight every script that came out and we we're all like nah wouldn't say that wouldn't do that not doing that <laughs> and so we go through this big process to kind of get it to rest in the middle and I fortunately um, had a really great relationship with the with the heads of the script department and 
would go in there regularly and talk to them about ideas that I had. And they, they used my ideas a lot of the time. And so my character started off in the series as being um, very violent, aggressive, racist, um, ignorant, um, and stupid <laughs> to, you know, ev- evolving um, over a few series into, you know, um, a caring, sensitive, open um, person who was willing to take responsibility for his own mistakes, um, reflect on them and better himself for it. Um, and, um, and then ultimately, you know, um, you know, left following his passion. And, um, um, and so, you know, that, that was, you know, who I saw myself as a person, you know, evolving from, you know, um, some kind of rough uncut diamonds and, you know, dedicating myself to polishing the, the diamonds so that I could, you know, be as, you know, uh, live as purposefully and, and as meaningfully as I possibly could. And so the, the, the script department really loved that. And they, we worked together to do that. And there were some really, really meaningful, uh, really meaningful episodes that, um, that I think spoke really loudly to a lot of teenagers about big stuff that's happening in teenagers' lives that, um, you know, I think would have provided some kind of insight or perspective or support or, you know, so it felt really meaningful. Awesome. That, that so, so Bolton's out there somewhere. He's um, in this parallel universe. He's found some inner peace and oneness. He's, um, uh, he's, he's found a good place inside himself and he's bringing that to others. To benefit others yeah. Too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good on him. That's what I'd like to think. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, a couple of other quick questions. Then we'll move on to more skating stuff. So did you watch the show while you were making the show? No, I didn't. And you know what? I'm, you know, I'm terrible in that way. Um, you know, I've, I, I, I watched most of the episodes, I think, because we had, we had cast and crew screenings, but you know, I, I went on to do a whole bunch of other things for a, for a period of time. And, um, you know, I seldom would ever read an article written about me or, um, you know, watch a show that I did or, um, listen to podcasts that I record. I, I, I record a lot of podcasts rather than go on other people's shows and, mm. you know, very rarely listen back to what I do. It's kind of, I enjoy the, the process more so than the, than the outcome. Okay. Are you in touch with anyone still from the Heartbreak High Cast? Yeah, there's going to be a reunion actually in September, a 25 year reunion. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, I, I, do, I think I'm in New York when that happens, but um, it's been great to, to be in touch. There's a Facebook group and all the cast are, from all the different series are, uh, are communicating, and it's really sweet. There's a real, oh, real special camaraderie amongst us all. Oh, that is really nice to hear, man. That's good. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, like, there was there were several moments in terms of skating. I mean, it was awesome that we had skating even in the opening credits, right? Like, there was, there was like a... Yeah, I know. I mean, that, I know. That's, that's so good, but... Um, a couple of ones that stuck in a lot of people's minds. I think there was one where Moody Stormy Drazik is down at the Bondi ramps and he's, he's working out his issues, just working it out on the transitions, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was great. <laughs> and for someone from Melbourne to see those, I mean, I'd never got to skate them as a, you know, uh, ever. Never got to see them before they all got turned down and replaced with a concrete bowl. Um, yeah. But to see them and know that up in Sydney, that's, you know, that's their, um, you know, that was cool. Um, but then also there's then the, the race stuff around the actual school itself where you do this gnarly 360 grab over a set of stairs and a 
few other things. And so Chris uh, from Melbourne, Chris Puller, says, give us any details you can remember about that infamous 360 over the stairs. Yeah. Um, well, I remember them sort of uh, blocking the scene out. So you have to block scenes out, obviously, and then, you know, it's quite an elaborate process of setting up lights and the camera and everything. Um, to capture the action and it's all it's all very precise right down to the millimeter pulling focus with those cameras and so we we go around the school and as we got to each section they go right johnny what what would you do here and i go let's do this 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 and this and they go okay great and then they 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 set it up and we block it and then we got to like this odd section where there was um staircase going up and then down and and um, I had a, we, we had a jump ramp permanently on set just because, you know, we could. <laughs> and, um, and so I said, why don't we grab the jump ramp and we'll just chuck it there and I'll just, I'll just launch over the stairs. And um, they didn't quite understand what I meant because, you know, it was hard for them to grasp that you could put a jump ramp at the base of a set of stairs and skate out at high. Well, I had to, I had to skate down a bunch of sca- stairs. Yep a stair road, a bunch of stairs, and then had to, you know, skate my ass off to, to hit the jump ramp fast enough to make it over over the set of stairs and stair ride the backside of the stairs down. Yep. And um, and the idea was that I was just going to air onto the, the top of the stairs and then just roll down. It was just going to be like a, you know, a little moment. And um, and so I, I tested. I said, let's just test it to see if I can actually do it. And I surprised myself at how easy it was. So I said, okay, um, let's do it. So they blocked it. And then they called, when they called action, I said, oh, I'm, I'm just going to go for a 360 and see what happens. <laughs> you know? And so it was, it was, that's it was what Bob would do. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I just, <laughs> it totally was. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, on the take, you know, I did a 360 and, um, surprised myself and everybody else, and it was it was a great little moment. I think the the fact that they were also surprised that I did it was the reason why they um, actually cut it into the credits. Yeah, they're all they're all you know, they loved it. They're all just constantly entertained by the fact that you know I could do this thing, I could skate <laughs> the way that I could. So so it was great. It was always always celebrated and always you know really really encouraged. That's it awesome. was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's good. And and, and dates that so well because there's some stuff from that era. It's interesting watching the bottom line how a lot of the um, a lot of the street stuff particularly has dated in terms of style. You know, the vert stuff yeah. I think reached maturity a lot quicker. Whereas the some of the street stuff, like those three sixties, like some of the grinds, those big wide steezy Mizus that what's his name from the snowy state, Dave Ortega was it? You know, some of that stuff were yeah. no, what's his name, Colash. Yeah, you know, some of that stuff has aged well, but then other things, you know, winding down the windows with your arms on these really yeah. slow front sides aren't so great. Yeah. But that, that 360, it was tight, it was grabbed, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's timeless, which is nice. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, I think you've already answered this question between the lines about you, you obviously brought some of the, um, your own fashion sense and style into the, into the Bolton character. Um, uh, is that right? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I, mm. yes. Um, I, it was kind of like a, a, a tangent of, of, of me. Yeah. I think they wanted, they wanted something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I, I, at that stage I loved ridiculous. So I was, you know, I wore beads and, yep. you know, 
rubber toys around my neck and, you know, just had ridiculous haircuts and yeah. things. And so let's I think that I, I, I was I've kind of – the more ridiculous, the better for me at that stage. <laughs> it was kind of just like a, you know, a part of the – the rebelliousness of, of you know, conforming to, to mainstream fashion yeah. at the time. It was definitely a part of my thing. Because <laughs> that, that, that was cool, uh, both seeing real aggressive inline skating on Australian TV with such profile, as well as seeing kind of real subcultural characters, not just packaged. Yeah. And gotten all wrong, because, again, often TV producers and movie people try and package it you know, those things, and they just get the yep. details wrong, whereas the characters, look, including, including Bolton, looked real and, and stuff. But bringing that across into your skating, um, what I've seen of your skating on Bottom Line and public transport and other things, uh, that as well, I don't know if you like this description, but, you know, it seems to have a certain kind of ag- aggression and dynamism to it, I think, you know, really throwing yourself at things. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I was a bit of a hack for sure. Which worked though, and, and I guess I'm wondering that how does at that time, you know, what what were your, you know, I guess personal and subcultural influences and interests? How did that stuff feed over who you were and what you were into? How much do you reckon that fed over into therefore the way you approached your skating? Um, interesting question. Um, was I into? I mean, we we were really into hip hop, um, and I think that you know the hip hop culture um, really informed the way in which we we went about things. We I wouldn't say we were defined by being anti-establishment, but we were certainly non-conformist, and um, and I, I I definitely think that that informed the way that we skated for sure, where we skated, how we skated. Well, we allowed to skate there. We don't really care. Let's do it anyway. Um, you know, is that a bit dangerous and silly? Yes, yeah, so let's do it. Um, so I definitely think that that un- underlying attitude um, was was driven by. I don't know whether it was driven by cultural influences, but mm. I think that our cultural influences at what we were into, into reflected an underlying mentality that we had which was that you know we want to be free we want to break new ground we want to innovate we want to have fun we want to do it our way um and all of it was very innocent you know there was no kind of awareness that we were we were necessarily a part of an emerging global phenomenon of, of of inline skating um it just kind of we just did it because it was fun and that and we were just being Ex- purely expressive of ourselves from that from that place. Yep. It was only until it really started to kind of firm up that actually we realised that we weren't that interested in continuing because you know it started to move more down the competition um, uh, line, and none of us were terribly interested in competing. You know, Scotty Crawford was the only one out of all of us in our original crew that. Um, went on to continue skating and competing. Um, that and becomes more like an, ath- an athlete, extreme sport athlete, rather than a, um, yeah, a skate just, culture. Yeah, creator. like yeah. Punks, punks off the street, just, yeah. you know, hacking away at things. Um, yeah, and, you know, we were definitely in that, in that early, in that first generation of just 
kind of innocent skating for skate skating sake um with no desire for uh, wanting to to compete was, and we was all, tom fry he, that early generation as well because he, he yeah he was he, he was. did very well yeah. on vert didn't he yeah, he, yeah. and manuel Belirus. yes Matt, um, yeah yeah uh, luke lucas jamie driver yeah yeah um you know but i think uh manuel and tom were the only ones that really went on i think from memory to compete yeah um all these guys are incredibly talented skaters you know and and real innovators. I mean, Tom Fryer was just like unbelievable in his in his prime. You know, every session he'd come up with something new and and really, you know, really defined so many of the of the you know the underlying you know the foundation of so much of what's being done today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there were some of these tricks being figured out, as you've said, and like this again, Chris Puller I mentioned before. His his question to me was, you know. Again, it's impossible perhaps to say who got there first, right? But, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he sort of – he said he was trying to think, what's the first shifty slash royale ever seen on video? Is it yours towards the start of bottom line on the Candace car? Apparently. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people say the first – the first in the in, – in my in in my line in that in that video, I do a, a, a kind of like a – what they call a McTwist at the time off a jump ramp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You don't, you like kind of fall over, yeah. You don't land it fully. Yeah, I land yeah. on my knees. Yeah, and then I get back up and keep going, and then do a sort of a disaster to shifty Royale disaster. And, and then um, there's an acid soul at some point as well, right? Yeah, it's a soul. Yeah, and um, and apparently that was the first time that both those tricks were kind of captured on video. Both the Royale uh, I mean, and know, the acid soul. Yeah, acid soul and the and the the inverted five forty yeah. off a jump okay. ramp, right? Yeah, so the bio or the misty, yeah. Yeah, bio. That's right. Yeah, misty yeah. flip bios. Yeah. Um. So, um. You know, but we were doing all of that long before that, and I think a lot of other people were doing them long before that. But I actually, I I think that we we as a crew can probably claim the 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 whole shifty thing because when Dare to Air came out. Um, and we were seeing Chris Edwards do the big handrails um, with the small wheels. Um, you know, we were just like, holy shit. <laughs> and, you know, as soon as we watched the movie, we, you know, we went outside and we all had big wheels, but we all started hitting handrails. And the only way that we could actually get down a handrail with big wheels is get on to get on our frames. Oh. And so we, we, rather than, you know, going wide stance – and grinding down the insides of our frame, we were jumping on either front side or back side onto handrails and with with big wheels and 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 hitting these rails and hitting planter boxes and whatever. And um, it was just something that I loved doing. And it, you know, the backside shifty royale and a planter box with big wheels became one of my signature moves. You know, I was just I just hit everything backside shifty royale. And was this uh, with Cosmo wheels already by then, or was that before Cosmo? Uh, I think we were all on um, Fat Boys, Hypers, or something like that. No, it was pre. Uh, we were on Hypers, yeah. Hypers, yep. Yeah, Fat, Fat Boys came with Chris uh-huh. um, after we saw Dare to Air, um, and Small Wheels, you know, came a little after that. Yeah, we were on we were on hypers. We had yeah. we had a hyper sponsorship. They gave us all their factory seconds. We just had boxes and boxes, so we could blow out wheels, you know, any uh, in one session and just 
throw them away and put a new set on. We Doesn't had new matter. wheels every session, which yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, you know, that's that's the history, history of the Shifty Royale. Do, do I know whether we were the first? I was the first? I, I don't know. It doesn't, you know. Yeah, those kinds of little claims to fame are, are not really important to me. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it is, it is interesting. It does underline again uh, that the, what what was happening here, uh, yeah, was happening in other places, and and was at the cutting edge, and that's helpful, I think, for people to get. You know, just to go, that's a cool thing that a little, in a small yeah. little way, Australia was involved in the evolution of the sport in really important ways. Cool. Oh, big time. Yeah. I remember sessions that we used to have in the States, you know, with um, Arlo and um, oh, I'm just trying to remember all the guys that used to be that, that were there. And we'd, we'd session like a rail or, you know, a, 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 a mini skate park or um, a spine. And I remember so many of the tricks that we were doing were just blowing the minds of um, the Americans. Yeah. They were just like, what the hell was that? <laughs> uh, they were doing like massive, massive air to disaster to, to late 180 in, uh, you know, over a spine or a big 360 to disaster on a spine to late 180 in, like a 540 disaster, you know, things like that. Or, you know, sh- you know, 360 to disaster to shifty down, down the transition to fakie, you know, um, over a spine, things like that that, you know, were totally blowing their minds. And we're also doing, you know, big disaster to soul grinds on handrails, big disaster to shifty rails to on, on handrails, things like that that I think weren't really happening in the States at that stage. So we, we, we had a massive influence. That's at that stage, you know, Australia, Australia was definitely yeah. recognised as, as the leaders in, in, in progressive skating. Super exciting, hey! <laughs> right, it was so much. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what What about you? Share a little bit about uh, where you've been. So you've already mentioned, you know, that, that towards the end of your time with Heartbreak High, going to India, sort of exploring different things for yourself, and that's why you moved out of that acting and skating. Um, uh, it'd be both cool to hear where you've gone with some of that that meditation stuff as well as if you think there's any, you know, what would be your word on what you've discovered in that stuff on how that would be helpful to those who are deep in skating today? Is, is What's the place that things you've been learning and you now do? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think everything that I've ever done has been in a pursuit to better myself and understand my my capability to, to progress and advance. Yeah. And I think it's it's inherent in our human nature I think our deepest fulfillment comes from being engaged in something that um, enables us to be fully expressive of who we are and and how we can advance that, and for for that to have some relevance and significance in the lives of other people. Yeah. Um, uh, in the direction of you know being of support in some way and assisting in them elevating their status to be able to, to be expressive of, of their best self. Yep. And so, you know, that was the underlying theme in, even in our skating, you know, we, we, we were really consciously driving, you know, driving forward with, with that understanding. And I think that, you know, with, 
some some degree of success with TV and skating and whatever, I kind of looked into the future and went, hmm, you know, there could potentially just be a whole lot more of this. And am I satisfied with this? <laughs> and the answer was no. You know, I, I felt like there was so much more to understand about myself. And I felt like, you know, who I was as a personality, um, you know, what the culture was um, as a subcultural movement. Um, I felt restricted. There were limitations in it. Um, and I was starting to become, you know, recognized on the street everywhere I went. People knew me because of Heartbreak High and all of that. And I was being known for playing somebody else. I wasn't, I wasn't recognized <laughs> for myself, yeah. uh, which is a really interesting thing, you know. And I think it's something that a lot of actors that become famous struggle with. You know, they're, they're, they're being celebrated for playing other people and not necessarily being, being themselves. And um, at least for me, that, that posed a, a, as a conundrum um, that I needed to sort of reconcile. Yeah. And uh, my, my solution to that was just to kind of step back from everything uh, unbeknownst to most people, I also was a, I, I also am a painter. I, I love painting. And, um, so I really immersed myself in my painting and, and my study of meditation and, you know, the ancient philosophy of, of knowing, knowing oneself. And, um, that took me to India on many occasions. Um, and, uh, kept me sort of underground quiet yeah <laughs> um discovering things and then i then I, I i sort of was confronted with the decision to to either move to india and just do that <laughs> all the time um or to stay in the world and just continue trying to walk the fine line um and i decided to stay in the world so i started a production company and um the idea was to produce uh film television productions that um inspired young people to want to be you know awesome yeah. and what i mean by awesome is themselves yeah. and um so we you know i i formed a, a partnership with fuel tv which was the action sports channel that you know lived a short life um i think it was only around for about seven or eight years but we we got the contract for all their local content so i was able to produce a whole bunch of tv shows for them and and, you know, have my own show where I was interviewing action sports um, personalities, uh, successful action sports personalities um, that were doing really well overseas and, and here and get to the heart of what drove them as people and yeah. um, what led them to, to their success and, you know, what their challenges in their life were and how they confronted those challenges and had real conversations, human human conversations um, with these people that, you know, thousands and thousands of kids were idolizing and to kind of give them a, a, a window into, you know, what really made them tick and, you know, what they, what they might have had to say that everyone could have benefited from. And as a result, we, um, um, we ended up winning the Astra Award against the, um, the Cricket World Cup and the uh, – what was it? It was something else. It was such an upset. Yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, it was the the the, the, um, the rugby union final. Huh. So the best coverage, best sports, um, best sports coverage. The Astro Awards are like the equivalent of the Logies for um, pay TV for Foxtel huh. and all of that. 
Um, so that was our first award, and then we, we, we continued on to win it another two times consecutively for the BMX Games and um, and actually the BMX Games the second time. Um, and uh, so that was hugely rewarding for us and um, very creative. We had a, a really great production house up in Palm Beach in the northern beaches of Sydney and, you know, a really awesome young creative team. And, you know, we go surfing at lunchtimes, cook big meals together and, and just create really great stuff that went on TV that thousands of people got to see. And it was, it was just loads and loads of fun. And in that time, I was continuing to study and train uh, in the, the, the arts of meditation and various other practices. And then it, it came to a point where... I was spending more of my time helping people um, with things that were going on in their lives than I was producing, and it just it came to an obvious conclusion. I came to an obvious conclusion that this was probably the time that I should just give all of myself to teaching meditation and 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 playing that role and move away from film, television production, and that's what I did. And that's that was probably I don't know, twelve, fifteen years ago, and. Um, I haven't really looked back since, <laughs> uh, and it's been a pretty, pretty extraordinary journey from there, actually, around the world. You've teaching, been teaching, yeah. So yeah. You've, you've written a book as well called the Golden Circle or something. Is that? The, the the Golden Sequence. Golden yeah. Sequence. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, a a really wonderful teaching that helps people sort of bring themselves out of confusion and 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 feeling defensive against the world um back into a a place where they're able to harness their their deeper creative intelligence which i refer to as love Mm -hmm. and um and it's a process by which they can just live a more happy and meaningful and fulfilling life being in service of of others rather than trying to you know spend their entire time trying to work out how they can manipulate others to get what they need yeah it's gross and uh and, and there's an uh, app as well, right? One numeral one giant mind. Yeah. So that 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 kind of that's that's been a really remarkable um, experiment. We created an app probably about six or seven years ago, and we we released it out into the market just to see what would happen. And um, yeah, it's just been amazing, you know, to create something and have you know people from eighty different countries using it and it changing their lives in a really meaningful way has been. A very fulfilling thing. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so how? I mean, it's more than just how these things benefit some little part of your life, but how would how do those things map back into someone deeply involved in a sport or an extreme sports culture? What part does that these kind of disciplines play um, in in a subculture like skating? Well, I think you know the underlying law that governs subculture is belonging. I think we gravitate towards a particular type of subculture relative to either our our natural talents or where we feel like we fit in, you know, in, within society. Um, but what we have in common, irrespective of whatever subculture we might identify with or feel like we belong to, is that uh, inherent in our humanity is this need to belong to something and to be identified with something um that is expressive of our of our values and and um 
and how we, how we want to live, how we how we want to interact. And so, you know, what I what I've realized in our pursuit for belonging um, is that it's it's the place where we gain our our sense of identity, our sense of self, our um, our ability to fulfill the desire to to connect with others, um, to be expressive of who we are, to to validate others and who they are, and um, and so what in the process of me going down this path, I've kind of identified the universality of our our humanity and how it how it you know this knowledge applies to every facet of society irrespective of what what group you identify with what your what your faith is what your your belief systems are how you like to express yourself and in that recognition of the underlying universality of it all um see the common thread that links humanity and you know for me this is probably one of the most important um and ignored aspects of of our existence is that we are inextricably connected as a species, um, both to, to ourselves as a species, but to, to nature and to the world, to the biosphere that we, that we occupy. And, and, you know, there is a responsibility to, um, you know, nurture our interdependence, our interconnectedness to ensure that there's harmony between us, between us all. And, you know, I remember when we were kids. You know, the 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 feud between rollerbladers and skateboarders and BMXers was pretty fierce. You know, there were there were some pretty heavy clashes that we had at different skate parks at different times, and um, you know, it always used to really upset me and really really disturb me that we'd rock up somewhere and you know, just through sheer ignorance, you know, these these other kids that were just had a different apparatus. <laughs> Um, would would yeah. um, you know ostracize us and ridicule us and you know threaten violence? Such so sad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was it was it was very real, and you know, and for a time there, we 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 really participated in the in the in the conflict. You know, we we got to a point where we would we were pretty, you know, you wouldn't want to mess with us mm. <laughs> because you know. When you're a kid, you want to identify with what's the coolest, right, so that you fit in. Rollerblading wasn't cool. You know, so if you rollerbladed, there was, a, there was some aspect of your character that um, didn't really care what you, th- what you thought of me. Do you think I really care what you think of me? I'm having fun here, mm. you know. And if I care what I th- you thought of me, I'd probably be skateboarding right now because rollerblading is not cool. And... And so, what what skateboarders and and BMX BMXers underestimated was the the depth of our our character and determination to to continue joyously skating wherever we wanted to, um, whether we were welcome or not. And you know, we used to turn up to um, skate parks with baseball bats um, <laughs> in our car. Manly Manly um, Skate Park was probably one of the fiercest um, skate parks. To skater, and that's that's where we all you know we all grew up, yeah. and it was it was tough, you know. There, we'd be skating, and you know, and someone would you know throw a rock. Oh man! 
you know, while we were, you know, going for a grind or, you know, try and trip you up or, and it, it, it turned into, you know, fights, full blown fights. And it just so our numbers increased and, and our fierceness increased to the extent that eventually they just, they, they, they knew it was best just to shut up <laughs> and yeah. not say anything. Yeah. Um, but that, that, that always really disturbed me. And, and that was very uh, different, though, to your experience with um, Tony Hawk in those early tours. Uh, man, and that's the thing, right? You know, at the top level of skating, no one cared. <laughs> no one cared what you did, you know. Yeah. Well, just like, are you a good person? Are you a good guy? You know, you're fun to hang out with. I mean, we were hanging out with all of them, Steve Cab, Tony mm. Hawk, Krishna Azoi. Um, and appreciating you know, what you could do on those different apparatus and go, oh, well, you know, you don't, you don't have these board flipping technicalities but your access to different kinds of whatever totally. flips and grinds are different yeah. so just, let's see what you do you tell me talk me through it what's what do you yeah. guys call that yeah yeah exactly and you know we were doing shows where you know tony was doing a, a twist over the top of us and then we're doing 360s over the top of him and mm. you know doing you know dual inverts and all kinds of things and it was it was harmony it was it was beautiful yeah. i remember actually one of the one of the you know great moments that we had was that um, Tony and a whole bunch of other pros were on tour. And Tony used to come and stay at our house uh, whenever he toured to Australia and um, sleep on the couch, which is quite funny given that he's, a, uh, you know, where he's at now. Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, we, we used to drive him to all of the, all of the, the shows and demos that, he, that he'd do. And um, I remember we rocked up at Manly one day, and there, you know, there was probably I don't know 400 kids, you know, and not just kids, but you know, all the big skaters from from everywhere, not just Manly. Everyone knew Tony Hawk was coming. Everyone came, right? And um, we we rock up in the, in the car park in our little V Dub, and um, and we and everyone knew that we were the rollerbladers because everyone knew our car and we, we get out and then Tony gets out of the car and everyone's just like <laughs> cognitive um, dissonance. Yeah, totally. It was, and, and that really shut him up big time. And, um, which was great. It, yeah. it kind of, it, it just, it kind of opened their eyes and made them realize, Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe we don't understand something here. Mm. And, um, you know, and that was the case for, for many of the tours that he came out for. And, you know, and then as a result, the older generation of skaters in Australia started to show a lot more respect. Um, and it really evolved over time. And that was that was really, I think, because we we also grew up and, and just went, this is just ridiculous. Stop being so childish and just, you know, enjoy yourself, get over, get over yourself. Yep. And, um, and as a result, we became, you know, really great friends with a lot of the really hardcore tough purest skateboarders in australia and um and that was a lot of fun that was that was a lot of fun and i would say that the mentality that that we had of wanting to be inclusive and just have fun uh, um you know eventually rubbed off on a lot of others that's great isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. part of that was all you know that was in line skating as a, an extreme sport culture kind of carving out its own niche because it grew up within this absolutely volcanic fad of rollerblading across the world yeah. and, and so that took a while to settle didn't it for for rollerblading as the kind of the the fad 
to begin to fade and, and inline, yeah. inline skating as an actual, just one of the extreme sports to just show that it was, you know, it could mature and, and outlast that and, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and that was at the time when skateboarding, you know, took a massive dive as well because mm. we were all skateboarders. You know, we, you know, I mean, Cal was a, an amazing skateboarder. You know, we, t- Tony declared that, you know, I, I, Cal did a, a, a backside 180 double, double kickflip. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was quite a technical trick. And he could just do them so big. And Tony was like, that's the biggest one I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you know, it's coming, that's from Tony Hawk to a rollerblader. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we were all skaters. We all were like, look, we can all do this, but we're just enjoying this for the moment. And yeah. so just kind of get over yourself. But um, it was when skateboarding, you know, it died. It just took such a massive dive and rollerblading came in and then rollerblading all of a sudden became very uncool again and then skateboarding. And I, I don't think skateboarding slowed down since that, that, yeah, that next wave. And that's when, you know, we were hanging out with Tony when um, um, the video game company that now, you know, that made its gazillions of him mm-hmm. uh, was starting to just just start filming. We were doing some um, – we were doing a tour with him in St. Louis um, uh, for the dead air to a big half pipe show. And, um, a film crew came down to just film him, um, doing all of his moves. And that was the first, um, visual mapping that they started doing for the Tony Hawk game, which then, you know, results. Yeah. Yeah. He's gazillions. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is awesome at skateboarding on PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I think we're out of time for today, but this has been really nice. Thank you so much. And, um, Pleasure. Yeah, been very generous with sharing and, and putting up with all the different angles of questions. It's, it's been really great. Cool, mate. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I think it's great what you're doing. Thanks very much. Hey, do you still skate ever? Do you have a pair of skates still? I do, yeah. Uh, I was, cool. I've just moved back from New York, uh-huh. um, and I had a, a, I've got a pair of um, rollerblade, I forget what they're called, but the wheels are massive. They're like 132 mil. Oh, There's only yeah, three yeah. wheels on them, yep. and they are so ridiculously fast. Mm-hmm. They're almost too fast. <laughs> yeah. Way more comfortable, though, as well, on different terrain and stuff than little wheels. Yeah, they go, yeah. Over, they go, all, they go over anything. Awesome. And, yeah, and you need that in, in New York. Yeah, we could... Well, thanks very much, and uh, keep in touch, eh? Thanks, mate. Bless you. Thanks, brother. See you. Mad Beef Rollerblading Podcast is produced by Mikey Lynch, theme music by Edifice Architect. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, and get in touch with us on our Facebook page. Mad Beef is supported by Skater HQ. You can find them online at skaterhq.com.au. We're also supported by our growing number of Patreon patrons. To support the podcast, find us on Patreon. Even just $2 a month, every little bit helps.